When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Pre-COVID, you were going on an amazing expedition to do some amazing science with amazing women from all around the world. Let's start at that, you know, you boarded the plane, you took off. Where did you go? And tell us about the expedition and, 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 and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, so I landed in Rapa Nui, Easter Island, in the middle of the South Pacific, just off the coast of Chile. And the plan was I was on leg eight of X Expedition, which is an around-the-world all-female sailing trip that has 30 legs, 300 women, and it's studying microplastic all through the oceans. So hitting all five gyres and bringing back that science and that citizen science and working with scientists around the world as well on different experiments to really understand where all this plastic is, how much plastics are in certain areas of our oceans, and then, you know, use that information to be able to change policy, legislation, and people's behaviours and bring that to people in a different way as well because every woman on board um, and that had, that was selected to be on board for all 30 legs, you know, comes from different backgrounds. So they have different ways of reaching different genres of people. So we started there. We did on-land surveys, a cap survey of, you know, plastic that's on land. We did some beach cleanups with locals, which was great. And what we were seeing in uh, Rapa Nui is a lot of plastics come from the South Pacific Gyre. So the North Pacific Gyre is that one that everyone hears about off the coast of Hawaii. And, you know, that's the the all-famous gyre. But the South Pacific Gyre is for, obviously further south of that off the coast of Chile. It's not as big as the North Pacific Gyre, uh, but it's still there. And Easter Island gets the fallout of that current. So that current washes a lot of plastic onto Easter Island. And Easter Island is a tiny speck in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and so much plastic and microplastics wash up on their beaches. A lot of fishing gear uh, as normal, but, yeah, there was a, a lot of plastic bottles, a lot of microplastics, a lot of ropes. So uh, we did that and then we jumped on board and the program for us while on board was science every day, which included manta trawling. So we pop out uh, what's known as a manta trawl into the ocean And we drag that through the water for 30 minutes at about two knots. And we do a flow rate test on it. So we understand how much water has gone through it. And then we take off the end of it, which is called a cod piece. And we empty the cod piece out and we sieve it through three different size sieves, 4.75 millimetres, one millimetre and 355 micrometres. 
and we pull out the organic matter. So we're getting, we do get a lot of different organic matter in there, little siphonophores and hydrozoans, so jellies and different things, uh, little crustaceans. So pull them out, uh, put them back in the water and then pull out the microplastics. So we're looking at tiny fragments of um, microplastics, filaments, all different things. We pop them all into Petri dishes and then on board it is The coolest thing, we have what's called an FTRI machine, which is a portable machine that uses mass spectroscopy. What's that? Basically, there's a little crystal and you put the tiny piece of plastic. And I'm talking about a piece of plastic that, you know, has gone into the 355 micrometer sieve. So it's a really tiny piece of plastic. I'm using like tiny, tiny forceps to try and pick it up. And I put it onto the machine And then I wind down a crystal and I crush this little piece of plastic and the machine then determines what type of polymer it is. And then it correlates it against a base, a computer network that has all of these different types of polymers loaded into it. And it can give you a percentage of what it determines it is. So a lot of the plastics that we were finding were high density polyethylene. So, and you know, it would come up 97% or it would come back as polypropylene, 98%. Some things we were finding were made from soybean or linseed, which was really interesting. So not like we couldn't determine what the piece of plastic actually used to be because it was so tiny, but perhaps it was a bioplastic of some sort because it was picking up those elements. Yeah, we found lots and lots of different random things in there. It was really, really interesting to be able to really process that plastic in a way that I've never been able to do before and get some really hard data on what we were finding because in a 30-minute trawl, and we would do two 30-minute trawls a day. At what depth? Uh, so the trawl is just on the surface. So it's looking at mm. surface plastic, but we're looking at microplastics that we weren't finding. We hardly saw any macroplastics. So anything over five millimetres, we hardly saw. I think I saw two fishing buoys the whole 19 days on the ocean. The South Pacific Gyre, you really don't see the big pieces of plastic like what is witnessed in the North Pacific. And so what we're seeing there and what we're getting is that I think everyone, in a way, this sounds very weird to say, was a little bit shocked and almost disappointed that we weren't Mm. seeing and finding as much plastic as we thought we would. And I guess I kind of was in that train of thought, but also I thought, well, this is amazing that we're not. But the scary thing is we are finding plastic every single day on every single trawl, but it's you can't see it with the naked eye, essentially, mm. when it's in the ocean until you pull it out in, the, in, in an available method. So being able to actually process that plastic, gather all the data, put it into a log and say, okay, well, this is the types of plastic we're finding. This is the amount we're finding. Basically on every man to trawl in half an hour, and you're looking at a an opening of about 30 centimetres by 10 centimetres diameter on like a rectangle. We're collecting anywhere between four and I think our most was around 45 pieces of plastic. But these are tiny pieces of plastic that Mm. you can't, you you would never pull out of the ocean at any other time. And you would look out and look at this beautiful ocean and think, wow, it's amazing. What a great day. But it's actually full of plastic and just plastic that you can't see. And I think that's the take-home message from our trip was it's out there, you can't see it, what's it doing? 
and what's it doing to us? Very, very, very COVID, you know, like in a mm. way, it's, it's, it's like a virus. I mean, you, you as you say, you're out mm-hmm. there, you're, you're looking at these pristine waters, but it's not when you're actually really analyzing it and going, gee, what's the spread of this plastic disease? Just going back to it, though, I'd be interested to know. So why just surface level testing? Because you spoke about the, the five gyruses and Ocean Protect and Brad and myself are doing a bit of work with Syro at the moment and, and trying to analyze plastic. And, and you know, they're, they're, you know, pretty in depth studies and trying to analyze what's going on. A lot of attention around the world is on the cleanup. And I think we've spoken about this before, Laura. A lot of attention is going out and fixing, you know, the, the problem that's in the middle of the ocean, but understanding where does the plastic go? And I know Emily Penn, who's the skipper or the, the, the main uh, amazing uh, person who, who who got the expedition going, I, I saw something, gee, I can't time-wise, six months ago, where she came out and sort of said online that, you know, Boyan's, you know, great and he's out there trying to, Boyan Slantford's trying to sort of clean up the, 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 the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Uh, he's created a lot of awareness. But from the research that she's saying, at the time, uh, a lot of the concern was how it's actually washing back up on on shores all around the world. The research that Brad and I are sort of looking at the moment tends to sort of sway that way. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any insight to, you know, whilst there was disappointment going through there and you're not finding, like, you know, large bits of plastic, you, you are still finding data and data is is, is awesome. Did that sort of start to go, well, why is it only microplastic down here? Where's the biggest stuff? Why is it, what's the other gyres like? And I'm, I suppose at the end of the expedition, you guys will get, you know, you'll have a summary and a, and a position on that. But from your, from your heart, knowing what you know and being a avid environmentalist, what were your first sort of thoughts? I mean, can you elaborate on, on that at all? Yeah, well, there's other experiments that we did that wasn't just surface trawling. We did do uh, deeper 25-metre sample testing as well and air sample testing and sediments. So we did a, a range of different plastic sampling and some of those will be processed by scientists in a laboratory that we didn't have yeah. the facility to obviously do that on a sailing boat in the middle of the South Pacific. Uh, so we will get the, that data back later. And, yes, the whole idea of X expedition is to uh, – go through all five gyres and all oceans to determine different rates of plastic everywhere. I guess for me, I would say I'm fortunate and I've been fortunate enough to see plastic pollution in detrimental proportions and visually. So uh, in places in Hawaii, Camilo Beach, it's one of the most polluted places. I've seen it throughout the Caribbean. So where it's where you see it and, it and it's visually disturbing, it actually just makes you take a step back and think about what we're doing. So I've been able to witness that and change my behaviour and then go into the South Pacific and sailing 2,300 nautical miles and almost not seeing a piece of plastic the entire time except for the microplastics that we were pulling out was actually a bigger wake-up call because mm-hmm. for me, yeah, I've seen it and I know what it looks like and I know what it looks like to stick my hand six inches deep into sand and it's all plastic. But to look out at an amazing, clear, beautiful ocean and not see anything else, not see another boat to sail through it at nighttime and see the Milky Way and watch shooting stars and comets and then have boobies and white terns come and land on our boat and share that experience with us and, you know, pods of spinner dolphins. But then to pull out 
pieces of plastic that are so tiny you almost can't see them and you can't distinguish them against organic matter until you put them under a microscope and then even then it's really hard to determine if they're plastic or organic matter that was probably the biggest lesson that I've learned on that trip because plastic is so ubiquitous out there it is so close to our organic matter that if we can't tell it apart how can any organism other organism in the ocean tell it apart they can't just because it's out of sight doesn't mean it's not there Um, Mm -hmm. and it needs to be in mind that it is there regardless of whether you can see it or not. I think for me, that was the biggest thing. It's like, even if you can't see it, it's still there. If you can't see it on the sand, it's going to be under the sand. (laughs) Uh, Essentially is how like that correlates to being on land. You just dig a little bit and you're going to find it. So I think um, for me, it's being more mindful about the fact is like, yeah, I can't see it, but I know it's definitely there. So look a bit harder, try a bit harder you can do better. And that data and even anecdotal evidence is so useful as well. And obviously, even for someone like yourself and I guess the other 13 uh, ladies on the expedition crew at any one time, sort of seeing it and feeling it and experiencing it firsthand, it lets you guys sort of tell the story so much better as well. And it is consistent with what Jeremy and myself uh, have been have been saying to various sort of stakeholders and government officials and general public for uh, quite a long time in relation to where does plastic go when it goes into the ocean? You know, you you talked about the the Rapa Nui experience and the sort of the plastic island experience in Hawaii and those sort of, and you see so much plastic on our beaches and coastlines. And the the, the stat that we sort of plug around is we think about 5% of all ocean plastic, basically 5% of all plastic that enters the ocean. 5% 5% of that actually goes to or washes up on a beach. But also getting to back to your sort of your sort of surveys with the, the, the Manta sort of surveys, that really backs up with what the science has been saying as well in relation to there is actually very little plastic floating on the ocean surface. Uh, we th- There's estimates around, I think, is about 1% of all plastic in our ocean. Hey, what was that, Eunomia? Yeah, it's a Unomia uh, survey or report, which I'll I'll include in the show notes. But essentially, one percent of all ocean plastic is at the ocean surface, and that's why I think we've been quite, to be honest, critical of the of the ocean cleanup and similar approaches in the fact that they are targeting floating plastic on the ocean surface. It is such a very very small proportion of the overall plastic load in our oceans. We've got to do a far better job of actually stopping it from getting there in the first place. And you've got to realise that, that an ocean cleanup uh, equipment with big uh, floating berms, et cetera, how could that possibly be effective at capturing that microplastics that you're talking about? For sure. I totally agree. And you and I, uh, we agree. He's the mop and bucket approach. We agree. But do you know what? He's actually, like, he's helped tell the story he's gone out there and tried to from an advocacy point of view he's he's been amazing and 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 what what's he doing now he's now realized shit this is pretty pretty hard and i'm actually not getting all the plastic that i need (laughs) he's now got these interceptors which are going up rivers which is again he's he's claiming he's turning the tap off well the real tap is not producing it at all you know and and that's never going to happen I think, sorry, some credit's got to be, well, not a lot of credit's got to be given to him because he's raised the profile of plastic in our oceans so that people like Laura and Emily can have expeditions to understand the, the, you know, what's going on more. Whilst he may not be correct 
and what he's doing, hey, he, he, he's gone for it. More people have seen Boy and Slant's Ocean Cleanup Project via YouTube, which has made people more aware of the situation. He's having a crack, Brad, and I think we've got to say hats off. Whilst I also think there is also potentially, you know, from a, uh, you know, he's a non-for-profit, there's a lot of money that's been potentially put to the cleanup as opposed to really stopping it, and that, that concerns me, and I'll be interested to hear Laura's point of view on it. Yeah, I um I agree. Like cleaning up ocean plastic or plastic in general is, needs a multifaceted approach. It is not one solution fits all. It is a whole range of people coming together over different industries to fix the problem. So his solution, he has brought a lot of attention to it. He's trying to fix one part of it, a very small part of it, but it has brought a lot of attention to the problem. And, you know, we don't know. That could create so many more entrepreneurs in this space that can do an even better job than what he's done. I think all of those ideas are needed, but yeah, it does come down to turning the tap off on land. It comes down to entrepreneurs, innovators, scientists coming up with better solutions, better ways to package, better uses for plastic, ways for it to break down, better government as well, um, governance, I should say, and, and ways of dealing with waste. So there is so many different different aspects to the plastic pollution problem that need to be looked at that we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach to it. So it definitely takes all of us, you know, and this podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that's the thing. Uh, with, um, yeah, old Pete Kalinske from from the amazing Seabin, you know, Brad and I debate about, you know, how much attention he gets on his Seabins, and rightfully so. It, it is a, a great initiative to clean up marinas but we also, in our minds, we go, well, oh, oh, hold on, guys. You, you know, you, both Boyan and Pete go, oh, we're turning, you know, we're stopping plastic pollution. Now, Pete's different. I think he's done a wonderful job in Australia and in the world for highlighting what's going on. And that's to your point. We're Boyan, Pete, it's up to everybody to tell the story. It's not going to be down to Laura Wells, Brad, Jeremy Brown. You know, we're going to need to work together you know, across, you know, multiple industries to get this job done. Exactly. The best thing I think is that we can concentrate on is sharing data, like from your expedition, sharing what you've found, and that's an open platform. It's almost we need a new WWW bloody World Wide Web just for sharing data between entities because, you know, the more data we have, the better decisions we can make. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a I'm definitely a 
science nerd. So the data for me is is really interesting, but it's what happens with it. You know, mm. it's all well and good to go and do it, but if nothing happens with it and it's not communicated effectively and it's not utilised by governments and corporations, then it's a waste of time. <laughs> so that's why X Expedition is quite unique in that space because it's, it is bringing all these people together that aren't necessarily scientists and that have all these different viewpoints and reach points that it, that data can be spreaded further spread further it's fine fine. Um, (laughs) you're in quarantine it's fine (laughs) i'm sorry i'm i'm uh two wines down Uh, (laughs) so uh yeah it can be spread further to more people and you know we we just don't know that who that touches or who that affects the mindset of these people you know you could be creating a new greta people might not like it but they're change makers and what is the plan for that data and how is it going to be, I guess, coordinated or compiled with other potential sources of similar data? Like, for, is there anyone actually collecting similar data in that area? Not as far as I know, but, um, you know, that I could be totally wrong. But, you know, all the data that we'll, we're working with certain scientists in Germany through Plymouth University, they're taking the data and the samples that we've we collected a lot of samples that actually go back to the universities for testing as well. So they will be using that data. They'll be writing scientific reports and journals, but then it'll also filter through to us so that we can put it out there too. But the whole point of X Expedition is to really get that data, get people exposed, spread the message, and then utilize our voices to change local government, to change businesses and corporations with that firsthand knowledge. So that's where that comes. And then once you do that, it filters further up too. So you have more voices behind you. You have a bigger army, essentially. You've grown your choir. You're not just preaching to the same people all the mm. time because mm. you've grown that choir from X Expedition with all these different backgrounds and then they grow their choir too. So it's um, it's a nice little space to be in and it's a really positive space too. And that's one of the advantages of the X Expedition is the fact that you've gathered all these individual women from all different parts of the world, all different backgrounds, all different experiences, all different avenues, I guess, all sharing their story and what they're mm-hmm. finding so they can reach essentially such a wide audience, not just uh, getting myself and Jeremy and, and six other staff from Ocean Protect. Uh, they're, they're essentially getting a, a real diverse um, Yeah. Yeah, well, when you look at the women on on board my leg, just in general, I, we had paramedics, tattoo artists, a few different scientists, someone that worked in um, pollution and waste management. Brad knows he actually applied to go on it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's got the lots. <laughs> you can imagine Brad on this expedition. He would have been perfect. He'd be giving massages, making smoothies, doing some science. He'd be doing his hair with you all. He'd, he would be the perfect person. I'm surprised well, that they, they, they said no to you, Brad. <laughs> I've got to say, uh, there wasn't much hair doing on that boat. Uh, <laughs> it was a uh, very limited showering too. So, uh, <laughs> Brad, Brad um, wouldn't cope with that. <laughs> we were we were very much grotty yotties for uh, the three week trips. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had like we had such a diverse range of women filmmakers, as I said, paramedics. It was really um, nice to all come together from all different backgrounds and see where we can spread our message and what our superpowers are. That was one of the things on board. So as much as we were doing science, we were also 
working on personal development and understanding who we are as individuals and how best we can spread the message too. So understanding what your superpower is and how you are the most effective in your community and what your communities are is such a positive and a nice way to bring home the message uh, and understand that you can be a really effective player in that space. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a scientist. Hell, you don't even have to be on X expedition and getting the data. If you're connected to people and you're passionate, then you can be as big a change maker as anyone. And I think that's one of the most important lessons to learn that, you know, you can be a change maker from uh, self ISO. (laughs) <laughs> and without being presumptive about your superpower, superpowers, I should say, Laura, obviously you're, you've got a mass following, you're a highly influential individual. You're very well-spoken, very intelligent, uh, with a lot of actually experiences and, and qualifications. So you're actually very suitably qualified to talk very, very well about various ocean-related issues. And this is just one of them. So I'm guessing one of the reasons, I guess, you were chosen, I'm, I'm sure you have to apply to be on this mm-hmm. expedition, is, I guess for those superpowers alone. Not to mention your wonderful abilities to crack a few jokes. Wrapping this sort of this great chat up and it's really, really lovely to speak to even even oh, look, I'm in isolation as well. You know, we all are just to some degree. So this chat's been awesome just to to, to learn about what's going on with you personally and, and, and learning about this plastic journey. In summary, I, I wanna ask you both, what what do you guys actually think's on the horizon for us in the environmental sort of space. Because to me, I'm scared and yet optimistic. Countries will stimulate their economies the best way they can. And let's be honest, you know, when, when governments get a sort of an option list of, hey, you know, how many things can be done, whether it's, you know, Mr. Morrison, whether it's Boris, whether it's old mate Trumpy. You know, you sort of tend to think that these environmental measures and and restrictions and stuff we've got, they'll be thrown out the door. And my fear is we as environmentalists need to go on the attack. We need to draw and come together and go and draw on any data we've got. Like, for instance, how much, you know, how much CO2 emissions have reduced since we've gone into lockdown? You know, how quickly will that expedite, you know, ocean recovery? Yeah, look, I, I think number, I think first up, I think people are going to get increasing awareness and reports around how the environment is actually recovering in the absence of all uh, anthropogenic or human activities in relation to transport, uh, et cetera, and our pollution rates. I, I think we're going to get a really good glimpse, just a glimpse of how resilient and how wonderful our environment can be. The fact that we see more butterflies in, in that outside, we go, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have this all the time? Second thing is, I think we'll actually come out of this with a greater appreciation for the environment. Given the fact that we're all cooped up inside, we're going to have a far greater appreciation and respect for outside, which, and with greater respect and appreciation, means we put more value on our environment. Thirdly, I think. The governments across the world will be looking at ways to stimulate the economy and they'll in particular be looking for ways to generate jobs and I guess generate economic activity. What better way to do that by appropriately protecting our environment? Historically, governments have looked at investment to stimulate economies with infrastructure. So big big dam projects, big road, big highway projects, etc. Big motorways. We, we, big transport. motorways. We, we, 
It, the feedback from the community is clear. We want a better environment. And now's the opportunity to actually invest, to actually ensure that the appropriate protection and conservation, and in many ways, enhancement of the environment. So for my mind, I'm actually really optimistic about where we'll be going to uh, in the future. Well, if I can jump in before you go to Laura. Laura, in, in, in the last three weeks, my business and what we're trying to achieve has been paramount. You know, we employ 35 people. They've all got partners, kids, you know, call that a couple of hundred. And our mission, you know, is paramount to what we're, what we're trying to do. I've had to go into, it's been like, you know, wartime sort of footing of going, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, like, so it's been, the last three weeks have been on, how do I keep everyone employed? How do I get through this? You know, and everyone gets, you know, self-preservation. But in chatting with a few people, I've gone, well, hold on. And to Brad's point, and this is what he's actually bringing up, and I don't know how you can help, but I'm sure you can through data, through whatever. But we're, we're going to government and we're lobbying really hard and we're, we're going to go to them in the next six weeks with the help of people like yourself, with the help of people like uh, Britta from the CSIRO who we've got an agreement with. We're going to try and go to the government and go, hey, stormwater products that we've put in over the last 25 years, the vast majority of them don't get maintained. Okay, we've known about this as an industry for a long time. It is one of the most effective ways for pollutants to get into our creeks, rivers, and oceans. One of those pollutants is plastic. As we know, the stat 1,560 kgs of plastic goes into our waterways every hour here in Australia by CSIRO. And to Brad's point, we're going to go and go, well, hold on. We need to look at all those assets all around the country. Local government don't have the money. They don't have... They don't have the funds to go out and control what the, what's already in the ground. So Ocean Protect, hopefully with CSIRO and anyone else who wants to join the bandwagon, we're going to go to government and go, well, hold on, we can employ Australian workers right now on foot. Brad and I and other people in our team are working on, you know, trying to estimate the amount of, you know, unskilled labour that we need right now. We, we can go to the government with a shovel-ready project because that's what they're after. We can mobilise and, and through local, local government, they can employ lots of people to go out and do, you know, site assessments, you know, look at bioretention units, look at rain gardens, look at wetlands, look, look at a range of products that, that we should have been doing anyway. We should have been maintaining these assets anyway, but we just haven't. And to Brad's point, we're, we're going to try and get some of that stimulus money into the stormwater industry because as, a lot of people are now realising we've got to turn the tap off. So if you're out, you're buoying, you're out in the ocean, great. If you're Pete Kalinske, you're in a marina. Where we lie, which is up the chain, which is at source stormwater prevention products. And we we, we don't just stop plastic. We stop, you know, nitrogen, phosphorus, heavy metals. I mean, I mean you, you know all this stuff. So we are aiming to go to the government and go, hey, guys, what what's the best thing you can do right now? You can stop plastic going out to the ocean. Tick. You can employ thousands of people. Tick. You can employ them forever because everything needs to be maintained. And you can simulate the economy by investing in an appropriate stormwater management through major cities. So, like, if you're a city of Sydney, you need $60 million for, you know, upgrading your hotspots where the high pollution area happens. Well, why don't you do that? So, look, we're really excited about it. But I mean, Brad's been working pretty hard, you know, throwing numbers around. But why not go to the government right now and go, hey, guys, when health, 
and well-being and our environment is so important. And let's face it, our borders aren't going to be open up for a long time. Why don't we do what we should have done a long time ago and, and appropriately protect our waterways because they are in, intrinsic to us now and forever. And Brad, I don't know about you, mate, you, you, you're positive Polly. I think we're going to achieve something good. Jeremy's right. Like, I, I think we're under a winner. And to summarise, Jeremy, like, we're, we're basically saying the government's got opportunity to stop the flow of plastic into the ocean and create a whole bunch of jobs in the process. It'll need investment. It's not just about stormwater. It's about container deposit schemes, waste education, reducing litter, et cetera. But what a great outcome. Jobs is ready to rock and roll, and it'll protect our oceans. And mm. let's just do it. But that's, that's the sort of thing I think the, uh, I guess, the environmental groups and other sort of, I guess, businesses need to sort of think about, okay, this is an opportunity to change or to build on your previous success. Right. So, Laura, g- give us your summary. <laughs> it's hard to follow. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually agree with everything that you guys have been saying, and I think that comes back to looking intrinsically now that our borders are closed. It does have mm. to make – like, it does make us look – at, okay, what are we doing here in our own country that we can really look after ourselves with, whether, you know, directly human health-wise or indirectly human health-wise with things like plastic, because that does affect our health, and then stimulating economy and growing jobs. And, you know, that also comes down to the renewable sector too. So, you know, yeah. what another amazing way to stimulate the economy and grow jobs is by the infrastructure for renewables. And we are the perfect country to to start that and we should have already. So whilst COVID has been an absolute kick up the ass for people and has stagnated a lot of things, I think it's giving us a clean slate and it's yeah. almost giving us a pass. It's like a hall pass. <laughs> hey, mm. here you go. And hasn't everyone been thinking about that in isolation? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, just a side note, uh, the uh, hotel did deliver me a, uh, two boxes of tissues yesterday. <laughs> Uh, did, they, did they deliver all the single men four boxes? Because uh... <laughs> Or am I lucky I just got two? <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, back to solutions. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a, uh, that's a depopulation solution, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Great idea. You know, I think we, we are. We give, we've been given a clean slate. The world is literally our oyster right now. And this is a time for entrepreneurs and companies like Ocean Protect to really hit it hard and say like, Mm. let's do this. You know, yes, we've literally been shook. People don't know whether they're coming or going. They have a lot of things to think about and the environment will slip away further for a lot of other people because at the best of times for people that aren't in in this sector, it isn't on their mind because they're trying to survive. Mm. And yes, people are going to be trying to survive even more now, Mm. but- it's more important for us who are in this space now to really step up and play the game and look after our country and remember the things that are still happening behind the scenes because right now we're in our third mass bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef and it's being forgotten and it's not being reported as it should be. And those things are going to slip away further and further from us. So it's up to all of us, especially the people that are invested in this and have a passion about it to make our voices heard and make those issues heard because that will continue to drive policy and legislation change and behaviour change and allow people to be educated. And while they are sitting in their homes wishing they could be outside, maybe they're going to start learning about why it's important to be outside and why our outside is important to them and they'll want to protect it even more. So perhaps we're going to grow that choir even bigger in this space. And I think we just really need to 
understand the power of our voices and the power of our actions right now. Well, well said. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.